coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen. The Autobots transform and roll out in China. Chow Yun-Fat gets less buck for the bang. It's the anniversary of Leslie Chun's passing. And we look at the film Hitman The Final Fight. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, April 3rd, 2013. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me, as always, um, in this post-Hong Kong International Film Festival mode, right here in the Fragrant Harbor, is Mr. Kevin Ma. I'm still alive. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, apologies, folks. Uh, again, if you're used to listening to us as a live stream, this is the second episode where we haven't been able to do that because I'm having technical issues with some of the software I'm using. And uh, I'm hoping to get that sorted out in the very near future. But for now, we're sort of going it old school in the podcast-only format. Um, we do miss having folks in the chat room to uh, talk with us. But uh, we need to press on nonetheless. So you are out. The film festival is over. We're going to talk about a little bit of the festival news in just a moment. But um, you made it. How was your experience? Uh, What was your total number at the end? Oh, man, I forgot to count. Uh, I think I came in at just under 20, I think, which is a little less. uh, But uh, part of the reason why is because I sat through uh, at least three films that ran over two and a half hours long. Uh, actually, one film was five hours, so that's two films right there. Uh, one film was uh, four hours, so that's another two films. And then one was two hours and 45 minutes. So uh, a few more longer films this year, I guess, substitute for, for, for uh, some numbers. Uh, so coming in just around 20. Okay, so year. I have a question. The five-hour film, actually two questions. Yes. How many times did you go to the bathroom and did you have popcorn? Oh, well, okay. Well, it was Gangs of Westport. Uh, it was playing at the cultural center. So, um, no, I could not have popcorn because it's a government facility. Uh, and I only went to the bathroom in between the two films because each film is two and a half hour, hours long. Uh, oh, so it wasn't a continuous five hours. Well, no, I mean, the, the actually, it, it's supposed to be one film, but it's shown as two because, you know, it was played, it, it played in India as two films. Okay. But so. here it's shown as kind of one film, but about 15 minute, 20 minute intermission in the middle. Did you have popcorn in, during the intermission? Well, I can't because, well, I, I, it was like, actually, it was a nine hour day for me. So, <laughs> so that, so I saw two, I saw two films that morning. And then I ran straight to the cultural center to watch the five-hour film. So I went. I, I ran for like twelve hours of food. Um, actually, except for two organic bars in between the uh, the venues. Mm. So well, I lived on yeah. that. At least you're health conscious, you know. I, I think again, one of the things that uh, I always find interesting is that you know, a lot of the, the the sort of the film festival culture removes itself from the more popcorn-esque aspects. 
of you know regular movie going culture by removing the actual popcorn you can't get it at a lot of the venues <laughs> yes actually I, I, but actually the thing is this year there were there was a lot more um commercial venue shows and now that you now that you mention it no i still didn't see people with popcorn for some reason yeah it's, I guess because they didn't want to stand in line for half an hour with popcorn, or they finished it while they're waiting in line. But you're right; I didn't really see much people, many people eating popcorn, even in the uh, commercial cinemas. They're all sneaking in McDonald's. Probably. I think I sneaked in. I think I sneaked in like like water or something. Yeah, yeah people. I think people get it. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the film festival and um, some of the more notable films that Kevin saw, as well as a little bit of news. Um, but we are going to talk about one film, at least this week, um, and that is Ip Man Final Fight, the latest from Herman Yao. And we've also got a little bit of an anniversary, kind of a sad anniversary this week, right, Kevin? Yes, uh, April 1st, uh, as always, marked the 10th anniversary of uh, Leslie Trent's passing, uh, especially, of course, uh, especially pointed this year because, you know, it's been actually been 10 years. Since yeah, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about Leslie and his career and... Uh, um, Kevin got a chance to see the film Rouge uh, in the cinema uh, during the festival. He's going to talk about some of his thoughts on that, and uh, we'll talk about uh, just uh, you know a little bit of the uh, sort of our experience with uh, Leslie's films over the years, and uh, a couple related news items uh, as well, because he's sort of all over the news this week. But uh, speaking of news, why don't we get on and talk about uh, some actual news? <laughs> All right, so a uh, lot going on, and a couple news stories caught my eye. All of these news stories uh, that caught my eye come from our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia. Uh, up first, uh, this article from Patrick Frader, Frader called Lost in Translation. This is from uh, Thursday, March 28th, so from last week. And it's looking at uh, some of the international exposure that the uh, mainland blockbuster Lost in Thailand uh, recently received as it, uh, I think it screened over in the uh, last month's Berlin film market. And uh, Kevin, you were tweeting, I think, a little bit about this news earlier um, in that Stephen Chow's uh, Journey to the West film, uh, Chinese Odyssey film, is not, has not quite broken uh, the boundary or the, or the, the level of uh, revenue taken in by this film, right? Well, domestically uh, in China, it, ha- it hasn't beaten the, uh, the 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 loss in Thailand record. But when you add up the uh, the grosses from the so-called Greater China region, which I guess counts uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and uh, and China, um, I'm not sure anywhere else, it has actually broken uh, loss in Thailand's record because loss in Thailand played only in China and Hong Kong. Yeah. While uh, uh, Stephen Chow's film played in all three regions and actually did reasonably be well in all three, very well in all three regions. Um, anyway, this art, this particular article looks at Lost in Thailand and talks about um, s- some of the disappointment from some of the reviewers and the critics over at the uh, Ber- Berlin film market, and uh, sort of looking at the cultural difference. Thus, the the title here, Lost in Translation, um, why a film can do so well domestically and not so well internationally and i think you know again part of this goes back to um an idea that i think i've touched on before and i sometimes talk about with students is that you know drama is kind of universal so you know you get gong Li in a very sad story where she's you know an abused wife or she's a 
you know, a daughter being sold to a family or something. And, and tragedy goes all, all over the globe. Everybody understands that. But comedy is different. Comedy's got a lot more cultural context into it. And it's, a lot of times it, you know, doesn't just translate over uh, as easily as drama can. And in part, I think that, you know, especially if you look at some of the translation work that was done on early Stephen Chow films, um, sometimes it seems like that the translators were just kind of winging it <laughs> more than anything. <laughs> um, and so the, the article goes on. Uh, it's, it's quite a lengthy article. It's almost, uh, uh, you know, Patrick ought to look at uh, perhaps uh, submitting it as an academic essay. It's, it's almost that long. Um, but it does make some interesting points, and I would urge people to go over and read it. Uh, one point that stood out to me was, it's a, he says, um, while box office in China has grown very substantially, some 30% in the last two years, making the country now the number two theatrical market behind North America, exports of Chinese film have waned. And uh, he looks at um, some statistics from SARFT, and he says the overseas box office of Chinese films has dropped by about 49% in 2012. And they then contrast this with the nature of the export market going back to films like um, Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon, which sort of sparked a, a little bit of a renewal back at the, um, at the turn of the millennium. And now perhaps that's on decline. The real question that this article is going into is, can't you know how can China find a balance between productions that work overseas and finding success in the domestic market. And I guess the even greater question is, do they need to? I mean, if they develop their market well enough, can they simply w worry about the China market and, you know, by extension, the Taiwan market and uh, the Hong Kong market and the Singapore market? Uh, the thing about... And, and this actually, while you were talking, Paul, it's trying to—I I was trying to verbalize how to how to explain it. Um, it's very, China's a very interesting market uh, in that um, they first really appeal to the foreign buyers, you know, as martial arts epics or uh, uh, the the award-winning films that play on the festival circuit before they really gotten a hold of local audiences and. Now that they they finally captured a local audience, you know, with films like uh, uh, Love Is Not Blind or um, uh, we were talking about Journey to the West or um, uh, Lost in Thailand, and most recently uh, Finding Mr. Right, um, they sort of lost interest in in the foreign market, uh, or or the foreign markets lost interest lost interest in them because China has figured out a way. Chinese filmmakers, at least, have figured out a way to please local audiences and. This actually just shows how far the 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 uh, cultural cultural differences are between you know, the cultural gap between uh, the rest of the world and and China is that if you have to cater to a local market, you kind of have to risk the rest of the world. Um, and and actually that's not the only thing because like you were saying, that comedy is very hard to translate, which is part of the reason why. Secondly, um, the film that really appealed to uh, or Chinese filmmakers or producers, they knew what kind of films appealed to Western buyers, which is like uh, martial arts epics or big budget spectacle stuff, right? Um, stuff that they kind of had a few good films, but they kept trying to cash in on that. And not only did they lose the foreign buyers, they also lost local audiences. So it was very interesting to see how like how, how the Chinese film industry is trying to to react to this. Uh, of course, you always have a load of films that are cashing in on the phenomenon. Um, but uh, I think I think Chinese filmmakers, and I always tell people that that uh, Chinese filmgoers, 
when they watch films, it's like them buying uh, Japanese electronics. They they know that if they buy a certain brand, say if they want to watch special effects films, uh, they've learned that Chinese special effects films are, sh- are, are crap. I almost said a bad word. Sorry about that. But <laughs> they're crap, and and it's like was like watching a cheap knockoff of Hollywood films, which they can watch. They can watch. A, they have a new one every other week, especially now with the with the quota loosened. So. So it's very interesting to see how the market react to this this trend or this knowledge or the the, the audience knowing this by making films that really that are that aren't expensive to make uh, and also very much cater to local audience taste uh, almost uh, aimed directly at them and without thinking about anyone else. Hmm. Well, I do urge again people to go over and, and check out the article. It is rather lengthy, but it's got some interesting sections. If you are interested in looking at how, uh, you know, the various domestic and international markets have played out over the last couple years. Um, All right, our next bit of news, uh, coming back to Hong Kong a little bit, uh, looks at uh, the latest Chow Yun-Fat film, uh, The Last Tycoon, which I think we (laughs) uh, reviewed a few episodes back. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the film failed to... uh, bring in any really big bucks and uh in this article also by patrick fader from uh, tuesday april 2nd uh he says uh, the financial uh end year calendar um for the company bona film group limited which is um the uh, group in charge of uh this you know film from wang jing and chayan fat um they said they recorded a net loss of 1.3 million on revenues and um Compared with a profit of one point fourteen point four million um, on on sales, uh, they said weaker than expected performance by the last tycoon and the delayed uh, until January uh, release of Wong Kar Wai's The Grandmaster meant that the fourth quarter losses totaled about five point four million compared with two thousand and eleven last quarter profits of five point six million. Um, so I mean, it's kind of it's it's. It's a dry finance article, but the thing that caught my eye was they said that uh, despite the disappointment of Last Tycoon Bonas proposing to reunite star Chow Yun-Fat and director Wang Jing and producer Andrew Lau to make From Vegas to Macau later this year. Um, so is it really the case here that uh, you know their losses are simply a result of these two films? Um, well... Uh, the losses mainly is because they had they had such a big year the year before that with uh, over two and and uh, flying sort of dragon gate mm. those two were phenomenal hits for the studio and um, so last year anything in comparison would be weaker uh, clearly the last tycoon I think might have been their only major thing mm. yeah I think there might have been the only major film last year except for you know a simple life which did okay which gave them a really big boost in terms of critical success but not a really success uh, not a not commercially successful, um, but it was much more interesting in the partnerships they struck. As the article said, they they now have uh, co-production deals with Universal and 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 uh, working title films, and also they uh, they sold part of their company to to Fox or to News Corp. Hmm. Um, so last year, well, that's like, never a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> given, well, giving giving like, Rupert Murdoch more media control over anything <laughs> is a bad idea. Well, it's good for you, don't because he made more money. So, so for them, um, it was a year they didn't really bank on box office. Uh, it was more like a year where they they they're p- putting things in place 
for the future. And uh, it was very much a, 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 I guess, a dry finance year for Bona. Um, they, they have There's a lot more stuff to look forward to coming up. You, uh, Bona is very interesting because these are the people that are still giving Hong Kong filmmakers work. Uh, namely, they signed uh, Trey Hark and uh, Jacob Chen. Um, and of course, they're producing Charlie Yearn's uh, directorial debut, the one starring Aaron Kwok. Um, so, like, and like the article says, they have the the new Wanjing film coming up. So they're still very, very invested in this whole co-production model. Um, even though in a in a in an industry where co-productions are actually starting to fail, and that local productions are starting to do better and better. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see to see uh, what what they have up up their sleeves uh, coming up uh, this year. Yeah. Well, you know what they need to do. I mean, if they really want to ensure profits um, over, you know, what they did in 2012 and even 2011, is you simply add one more person to this production of From Vegas to Macau, and that person is Andy Lau. He's expensive. And then once, once they added Andy Lau, like, it's, it's, it's like Andy Lau and Chow Yun-Fat together again, God of Gamblers redo or something. I don't know. Well, but look, there's there there is a Andy Lau in that in that list, even though it's not that Andy Lau. Yeah, well, it's Andrew Lau. So it's <laughs> Andrew Lau. But actually, I think uh, there's a thing there might have been. Uh, it might be because uh, Andy Lau is signed to a different agency. He's signed to Media Asia yeah. in in Hong Kong, so he he has to work on Media Asia films. Uh, in fact, I think mean, both his upcoming films are under Media Asia. Hmm. Oh well, one can dream. All right, uh, next bit of news. Also from FilmBiz Asia, uh, the Transformers are going to transform and roll out in China, at least partly, in this uh, article. Also from Patrick Frader, uh, who seems to be the only writer working at FilmBiz Asia, or at least the only oh, writer. Oh, does very good work. <laughs> at least the only one who's catching my eye these days with some of the articles. I'm just kidding, Stephen. Um, uh, this, this article is talking about... Uh, some of the joint production agreements that's going on um, between um, the Chinese companies and uh, the Transformers franchise for Transformers 4. Paramount Pictures announced a co-operation agreement uh, with the two Chinese companies, um, China state-owned broadcaster China Movie Channel and Geoflix, a distribution company. Um, And uh, apparently Sarft has uh, given the okay as well. And they, uh, it says in the article that they've uh, carefully avoided describing Transformers 4 as a co-production, though. Um, so it seems like that they're kind of taking the Iron Man route with this, right? Uh, they're going to have some Chinese actors or actresses on board, and some of the scenes are going to be shot in China, I'm guessing more than were alluded to in, what was it, um, Transformers 2? Um, where they had some of that that opening sequence that was supposed to be sh- somewhere in Shanghai or something. Well, I think it was shot in like in like in like uh, L.A. or something. Yeah, Canada. <laughs> Everything. Shot yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, is, I mean, is this um, basically um, what's what's going on? And uh, you know, is this is this going to be a successful model for you know the big budget uh, blockbuster movies going forward? Is this is is this more to ensure that they get more play early on in in China? Do you think, or um, is it that the budgets have just gotten so overblown that Hollywood doesn't want to shoulder them anymore? No, I think I think that having uh, Chinese elements, or as uh, we like to say, Chinese characteristics, yeah. uh, in a film, uh, I think I think helps helps it at least on PR standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, especially in China. 
um, it, if they have a good relationship with Sarf, then that means their film can open day and date, um, probably uh, easier way to get into the country theatrically. Even if they don't get the even if they don't get the money back that they would as a co-production, that ensures them that they get more revenue because it will be a day and day release. Um, and I've heard Transformers for um, I've heard that they're shooting two weeks in Hong Kong actually. Mm-hmm up in, in june uh i've heard from a source um but you know everyone wants money everyone wants a piece of china these days it's not china begging hollywood to come to 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 china is that hollywood sees the money that china has they see the number of people they see the number of screens they see china slowly opening up and they want a piece of the pie yeah it's um you know there's a re- there's a reason why they they you know a, a lot of hollywood stars always did premieres in japan because japan was world's second biggest film market yeah. in terms of revenue so that's why they always went to japan um now that is no it's not that ca- the case anymore um uh now they they do in china this is a very easy yeah well speaking of filming in hong kong um I, there, there was an article i didn't put it in the show notes proper but um over on uh, io9 talking about uh the um new del toro picture um with, what is it with the giant robots uh Fellowship? No, 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 no. The, the, the Pacific Rim. Oh, right. right. It, it, he apparently created uh, like several blocks of Hong Kong uh, that subse- subsequently get destroyed by big machines. So, um, you know, it follows in line with Battleship. You know, uh, let's uh, destroy Hong Kong. Why not? The government would destroy us someday. I, so why I blame. Not? I blame Batman. You know, he, he just came over here, he flew into IFC, he took out some, some security guards and, you know, did all that. And then, uh, you know, now Hong Kong is like the, the global target, right? Dude, he just like smashed like a window. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Transformers 4, yeah, it's going to suck, but what are you going to do? Um, did I say that? <laughs> Final bit of news this week, uh, coming back to the Hong Kong International Film Festival. Um, some of the... Uh, some of the the closing films and some of the award films. Did you get out to any of these, Kevin? No, I did not see any of these. I mean, some of these are are uh, I would have chance to see them, but no, I did not see. Yeah. Any. So um, this article coming also from April third uh, by Patrick Frader, uh, entitled "Bloom and Stone Bloomstone Capture Hong Kong Awards." Um, uh, George's in bloom, and the Afghan drama. Uh, the Patient's Stone uh, emerged as the winners in the closing, which occurred, um, I guess, on the 2nd. And uh, it goes on to talk a little bit uh, about these films. And it lists some of the films in the running and some of the jury prizes as well. So if you're interested to see what films to look out for coming out of the Hong Kong Film Awards, uh, do go over and, and check out that list. Did you see any of the films on the list, Kevin? No, I did not see them. No, I mean, there are, I would have a chance to see them, but uh, actually, it's no, because I would have a chance to see them. I didn't. Um, if I'm reading correctly, one Hong Kong film on the list, right? A special prize, or no? Is that not a Hong Kong film? Um, um, all apologies is listed as a as a Hong Kong production for 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 you know legal reasons, I think. But uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't think uh, down down like fourth down is a special prize Hong Kong sewing. Um, as far as I know, sewing is not a. Let me double check. Uh, or is that just special prize for Hong Kong and not necessarily a Hong Kong film? Um, I'll check. There's no film called sewing playing at the uh, at the uh, 
Hong Kong International Film Festival, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, Maybe it was one of the student films. It could be, but uh, I am double-checking this right now. Oh, yeah, it is. I guess it's one of the shorts. Must hmm. be a short. Yeah, okay. it must be a short. Um, so no big Hong Kong films uh, in any of the awards. So I didn't. I don't think uh, Ip Man: Final Fight was uh, destined for greatness, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. So you talked a little bit last time about uh, some of the films you saw. Anything you know that just um, really caught your eye and that you'd recommend people to look out for? Uh, yeah, today on, on Twitter, I posted the, the, the best four films that I saw at the film festival. And like I mentioned last time, uh, I've already mentioned three of those last time, and that's uh, Johnny Toast Drug War. Um, what else? Uh, Johnny Toast Drug War, um, The Great Passage, a Japanese film about uh, a team of people who, a, a team of dictionary editors. Um, Francis ha-, ha by uh, Noah Baumbach. Uh, that's an American film, I think, comes out in august in the states um and on sunday i saw a film called uh, a story of yonosuke um a japanese drama from the uh, director of an, an arctic chef and uh the woodsman in the rain um the latter is, is actually available on uk dvd right now um it's a very simple story about a year in a man's life um that takes place in 1987 um, it's quite a simple but very affecting story, and those are the uh, the best four films. But I did see the um, local world premiere of a, of a local film called The Way We Dance. It's the latest film from Adam Wong, the director of Magic Boy, and uh, it's kind of an attempt at a local youth comedy version of uh, dance films like Step Up or, you know, what was it, Street Dance 3D. It's a very local dance movie. Uh, you have local youth speaking Cantonese. Um, you know, it, it has a lot of comedy and... Um, it's actually much better than 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 I, I thought it would be, even though the dance dancing is actually the worst part of the film. But it's a very enjoyable film, and uh, uh there it, it's from a local distributor, Golden Scene, who will be dis- who will be um releasing it in August. So so uh, that's another film that sounds uh, kind of similar yeah. to um, uh, what was the movie Herman Yao movie, right? Give them a chance. Yes, but that one that one is kind of that's kind of kind of like a social political uh, uh element to it, right? Because it's about these humans that are in trouble. And uh, yeah, trouble youths, they're looking for uh, redemption, blah, blah. This one is a very simple, very, I would almost say shallow kind of youth comedy take on it. Very, com- like I said, very funny. Um, uh, and it's mainly about dance, not about this, the plight of these kids. Hmm. Uh, so it's a very shallow film, but also very un- enjoyable. I think it's one of the, there hasn't been a lot of youth comedy uh, out these days, and uh, so so it's kind of rare thing to see youth comedy made for Hong Kong audiences from Hong Kong. Um, and I think just for that, I would give it that no extra push. But honestly, as a film, it's okay. But for the effort, I would give that extra push and I'd give it a little extra recommendation. So if you, if you see it, if you have a chance to see it um, before the August release, uh, definitely give it a chance. All right. I think that's going to do it for our news segment, so why don't we move on and talk about some film. Alright, so we have one East Screen film to talk about this week, um, and that is the latest from Herman Yao, starring Anthony Wong as the title character, Ip Man, in Ip Man Final Fight. Um, so Kevin, you want to give us a rundown of Ip Man Final Fight? Yeah, um, so It Man Final Fight is the second It Man film from producer Chek Lee Sin, uh, who first gave us a, uh, what was it, It Man 
the legend the legend begins Yes. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The Legend Begins, It Man. Yes, that one starred Dennis Toe as the uh, as the younger version of the master. Uh, apparently, Chuck Sin is uh, one of It Man's disciples. So um, this it, it kind of behooves him, I suppose, or it, it uh, he feels he feels like it's his it's his disciple duty to to pay tribute to his master. And um, and apparently, his reason for making this film is because there have been so many. Um, almost a uh, myth-like take on his master that he feels like he has to tell a more down-to-earth version uh, of the Ip Man story. Uh, the film actually t- uh, pretty much covers... Um, well, actually, it's Ip Man 2, but without the white guy. Oh, yeah, there was a white guy. It, oh, there was a white guy, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, it, well, this is Ip Man 2 about Mr. Twister. So it... it uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Twister's replaced by Clubfoot, right? From, uh, from the Once Upon a Time China movies? Yes, I guess. Uh, I guess also Mr. Twister here is replaced by a Shong Xin which is actually good news. Uh, but no, I, this this covers uh, immense time in Hong Kong, I think from nineteen forty nine up to the nineteen sixties, against uh, up to his death. Um, like like the Grandmaster, kind of just sort of skims over a large part of that uh, very long period. Um, the film doesn't have much plot, but it mainly covers uh, Immense uh, school up on the rooftop in Hong Kong. He has a couple of disciples. Uh, they're played by Timmy Hong, who, who plays a union leader. Uh, Jillian Chung, who, who was a waitress at a local restaurant. Jordan Chan, who actually has a bigger role here. He's a, a cop who, who has to choose between uh, corruption or, or being uh, playing upright. Um, and also, I think Zhang Lucha, I think, plays also uh, one of one of his uh, disciples. Uh, so the film covers uh, some of those character stories. Um, as well as uh, his his kind of Wing Chun's rivalry with uh, another gang or another school of martial arts because Wing Chun was a very new style in Hong Kong, so of course he would have to um, they would have to kind of fight their way into the uh, the existing martial arts schools already, I guess. Um, so there's that, and there's also a side subplot about um, a, a gang uh, in the Kowloon Wall City, um, who the villain is played by Shong Xin Shin, like I was saying. Um, and that's pretty much it. Man, final fight. It's a very uh, episodic take on the final decade or so of uh, it. Man's life. Um, oh, of course. Oh, I should also mention that includes. Uh, they cover his uh, very briefly his relationship with his wife, uh, Zhang Yongchen, and also a a kind of a uh, uh, how do I say relationship that he strikes up with a uh, a songstress played by uh, mainland actress uh, Zhou Chu Chu. That's pretty much. Uh, in Man Final Fight. Um, so like I said, it was Chuck Lee Sin's uh, second In Man film. Um, clearly, he wants to make the It Man film that would end the It Man film franchises or the It Man films because uh, here he's telling the final part of his master's life and I guess in, he thinks that in a way no one will 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 try and make another It Man film thereafter. I'm not sure if that kind of uh, logic makes sense, but um, good try. Um, to be fair, Anthony Wong here is better and more likable Ip Man as Ip Man than Dennis Toe. And I think, Paul, you, you like him very much because of his uh, resemblance to the real Ip Man, right? Well, I mean, if you look at, if you, if you look at the, uh, do a Google search for Ip Man and you see his older picture, you know, he's kind of like, you know, got close-shaven head and, you know, he looks kind of old. And he's skinny for sure. I mean, Anthony Wong's got some pounds on him, but he, he at least looks more the part, much more so than... You know, Tony Lung or Donnie ended. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah actually, I, I think um, Ipjun actually, Ipjun, who is a, uh, who am I called? Um, Ipman's son actually said in public that uh, his he thinks that Anthony Wong was most like his his persona or his uh, physical um, demeanor was most like his father's. Mm. So it, so in a way, Anthony Wong really did try to imitate it, man, more so than the other actors who just sort of playing this role, but really as themselves. Um, and that includes actually using it man's uh speaking it man's accent because uh he's from foshan and foshan doesn't really speak um they don't speak traditional cantonese as we know it uh, or as we hear in hong kong films he speaks sort of an accented version of of cantonese and while it's kind of strange in the beginning and it was strange when i saw in the trailer get over it very quickly after you get used to him hearing him speak it but then anita yuan shows up and started speaking in that accent (laughs) <laughs> which which sort of sound it started sound like a like a parody you know Liu Kai Chi he knew how to tone it down a little bit uh, when he dubbed his, himself I guess but uh, when uh, when uh, when uh, when and the UN is doing it it was very much like like it feels like she's doing an accent instead of you know actually speaking in an accent mm. um, and like I was saying there's no really story to speak of it's very episodic uh, so in a way you kind of sitting there and waiting, you know, wondering when the film is finally going to end. You just keep counting down. Okay, this thing's happening, this thing's happening, but there's no real um, pacing to this this so-called story, um, which I guess it's a problem with a lot of biopics, but um, I'm not sure. It felt, the, it felt more episodic than usual here. Uh, it's very strange. Um, and also, I think this is a problem that, that's with a lot of the It Man films. It's not just this one. Uh, in a way that it's made by people who are... Um, way too nice and too respectful to say anything about the it man character except that he's a great man who's a grandmaster who taught Chun around the world um so you know like those films here it doesn't really add any insight into the it man character even though he's tr- almost trying to give is like any any events that might give it man kind of a shade of gray they kind of skim over it and i'm talking about the the relationship with the singer um, um, how he treat, how he stays out of his disciples' fights and things like that. Um, if if it was like uh, um, that, everyone is because I guess Ipjun is still around, or because it's too too soon, or something that no one wants to say anything negative about Imman, the character. Um, so so his character is never really that interesting uh, in any of the films, and that includes the Grandmaster, includes Donnie's Donnie's Imman, and it also here. Um, um, and especially a problem here because at least those other films, they're kind of like Wong Fei Hong like takes in that they kind of uh, um, turn the character into this myth, a, a folk hero myth, right? But here it, it's it's because it's supposed to be a down to earth portrayal, it's supposed to be quote unquote real true story, right? Um, apparently, Chen Li Sin wrote down the the story based on Ip Jun's uh, verbal testimony about his father's life, so. So here it's especially a problem because it's supposed to be down to earth. It's supposed to be real. Um, uh, Eric Zhang has a nice subplot. He leads the other school and he he comes to become friends with uh, his character. Comes to be uh, friends with with Ip Man and they have a really nice uh, fight scene. And uh, of course later on there's a big huge group fight scene that also includes them. Um, it's very enjoyable, but again it doesn't really add much to the story. It almost like there because okay, well we have to have a couple of fights in there, so so there it is. Um, Herman Yao's direction is very solid. Uh, I think given the budget he had, even though the film reportedly had a very high budget, uh, and they did try, they did they did rebuild a bunch of Hong Kong Hong Kong street scenery in, in the film. 
Um, his direction is very solid, but it's really nothing that special. Um, but uh, the nostalgia is nice. You know, I think Hong Kong people from the 50s or 60s or, or older generation will appreciate seeing old Hong Kong or how they knew kind of a vague theme park version of how they knew Hong Kong, I guess. Um, it's not the worst Ip Man film out of the how many have we had? Ip Man 1, Ip Man 2, Grandmaster, uh, The Legend Begins, and this one. So, all the five films, it's actually not the worst Ip Man film, but it is probably the second worst. Even though it's not really the worst, it's not really a terrible film. It's just uh, like The Legend Begins, compared to the other the other three Ip Man films, this one is just kind of felt low rent in comparison. It feels like a speed direct to TV feature version of an Ip Man film instead of a real, you know motion picture you know that Raymond Wong made or that that Wong Kar Wai has made um but like I said it's not really a bad film it just feel a little pointless and and it felt you know it's not particularly good so uh I'm just gonna say TV it uh Paul um yeah I think I liked it probably a lot better than you did um for me <laughs> this is probably my favorite uh, of the Ip Man films um wow because uh well I mean it it feels more like the Ip Man that I've read about, um, much more so than the Donnie films, certainly much more so than the Grandmaster, which, you know, I, I again, I look at the Grandmaster as sort of a, this, this ethereal movie that just borrows the Ip Man name, but really doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have any fact to it. It's all art, right? Um, which is fine. It's, it's, it's still a great film. Um, and of course, you know, the, the Herman Yao's, first take on this um was it was too close to some of the nationalistic elements and you know the some of the problematic um issues that gnaw at me from that film um this film doesn't have a problem with i I don't have a problem with um in, in that sense because it's it it sort of disowns all of that that's come before it does not have any direct tie to um, the first Herman Yao film, and, and the, you know, none of the characters are um, coming over really. Um, so, so there's no direct linkage, with the exception of of the director and uh, I, I'm guessing the producer, right? Um, but in terms of the also actors, the writer, also yeah, the writer. Yeah, but in terms of the actors and the characters, um, there, there's a there's a clean break, and for me that's a good thing, and uh, it it makes this film very enjoyable. Now that being said, you are right; there is really nothing new that this film is doing. It's really kind of um, borrowing elements that you will have seen in, you know, several of the Wong Fei Hong movies. And, um, you know, um, one person that uh, uh, was talking about the film online and they mentioned uh, Echoes of the Rainbow. There's some 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 sensibility or aspects of, of that film that you can kind of see in here. Um, there's a little bit of, um, uh, what was the... Um, what was the Chinese name? Uh, Fearless. Fearless. There's a little bit of that in here. Um, some plot elements. So, so it's kind of you know very piecemeal, and you might you might say it's episodic. Although I kind of found the development of the different characters much more interesting. I, I liked seeing Anthony Wong's take on this character. Um, it seemed you know genuine. I mean, again, uh, Ip Man's son does have a small cameo in the film. Um, and so you, I think you are right that they're trying to be very respectful. It does get a little bit fantastic in places. Um, again, um, the there's a, there's a lion dance that turns into a fight 
and it's very Wong Feihong-esque in a sense. Um, and then the final fight that, you know, they kind of have at the end in Kowloon City is also a bit over the top, but it's great. You know, it's, 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 an, it's a really good um, sequence. Now, again, this is not on the level of Donnie Yen. You're not getting Donnie Yen in this. Uh, Anthony Wong, I don't think, is, was brought onto the role to be Donnie Yen, and, and he's not Donnie Yen. Um, and one of the things that immediately caught my eye was, I think, the very first fight scene um, where he's fighting um, uh, Tommy Hong. Timmy Hong, yeah. Timmy Hong, um, Sammo's son was you could tell it was sped up um and you know so there are you know they are doing some things there to to alleviate the fact that um you know these aren't uh, regular film martial artists uh for the most part who are doing a lot of uh, a lot of the fights um but some of the some of the characterizations that you get uh, like Jordan Chan's character as a cop who's you know, trying to walk a fine line as being a good student and maintain relationships with his, you know, his Hingdai Jimoy, his brothers and sisters. And at the same time, he's, you know, got these pressures in the, the department for being on the take and, and corruption. And, you know, he has these really nice moments with Anthony Wong where he's trying to, you know, figure out what's the what's the right line to walk and, and how can he do the, you know do the right thing, but also sort of keep his job and, and, and help people. Um, and then there's some, you know, it gets into some riots and, and some of the social issues of the time. And, you know, again, it, it does kind of have that almost TV drama-esque feel in some places, but I, I liked the look of the film, and it does have that sense of nostalgia. It's very much a Hong Kong film, and I think that's why I like this more than the other films. It's because of that sense of Hong Kongness that I got from this film, even though it's part of that comes from the fact that it's copying these elements from, you know, perhaps other Hong Kong films. Um, now, now that you mentioned it, Paul, uh, actually some of the plot, I realized that some of the plots didn't even wrap up. For example, the the thing about the worker strike, they never really resolved that, that plot line. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff that sort of pop up and then never come well, back. It was, it, I think that was there more to create tension amongst the different uh, you know because you had you had different different characters who were on different sides of that argument you know Mm -hmm. and um um it man kind of as their mentor was you know sort of on the outside looking in and and not trying to take a side um i I also kind of like the fact too that you know you have so many um you have so many hong kong actors here you know you mentioned jillian's here she's got a part um Jordan Chan, Anita Yun, um, Liu Kaichi, uh, you know, uh, Ken Lo shows up as, as, as a villain and has a couple of fight scenes. And, you know, the fight scene with uh, Eric Zhang was really pretty decent. I mean, it's no yes. it's no Donnie on the tabletop with Sammo fight scene. Um, but, you know, again, I they're not bringing in these guys for that level of, of an experience, but they're bringing in these characters because they're recognizable, because they're willing to work you know, on a lower budget film for Herman Yao, and they, they don't care about the, maybe the recognition or the association, and, and they bring a lot to the roles. I mean, it's not just Eric Tsang being Eric Tsang. He was very convincing as um, M. Chong, the, the, the Sifu of the uh, Park Hawk School. No, oh, because, because Eric Tsang was a, was a stuntman in yeah, the beginning of his yeah. career. So and actually... um, then you've got, uh, you know, like Wang Cho Lam shows up in a, 
you know, very, uh, he's just like a street scholar or something. Um, For no reason, really. And, and there's no reason, but, it's, you know, I just kind of smiled when he showed up. And, you know, he's, <laughs> he's doing one of his signature voices. And, um, you know, the, it, was, it, was, it was nice. It was stylistic. It, it also kind of got into the, you know, with the papers creating these, these, these legends. Um, you know, so they create this legend about this, uh, this guy who runs uh, the Kowloon Walled City Underground and the police are afraid of him. Um, what was his name? Uh, Dragon, you know, played by, um, as you mentioned, the, the, the club, clubfoot actor. And um, I, I really liked that. So they actually kind of touched on how these, these martial artists, you know, end up getting built up by the local media and... Um, you know, there, there there's there's a really nice soundtrack too. I liked a lot of the music that they that they used, a lot of you know period music for the time, um, and uh, of course you do have uh, Bruce Lee showing up, and perhaps we should talk a, a little bit about that. I mean, it, Bruce Lee's sort of been the um, the the figure that no one can talk about in these films because of certain rights and and certain things and. Uh, we, Perhaps the one film that, uh, you know, we could also kind of include in this mix was uh, Bruce Lee, My Brother, right? Yeah. And he shows up here, and I was kind of disappointed because he's kind of a jerk, <laughs> the way they portray him. And maybe really? that's... Really? I thought he was okay. Maybe that's how he really was, you know, um, and... Um, you know, I, didn't think, I thought the portrayal was, was okay. Uh, like, do, it's, it's, do you know who played him? Because I could have swore it was Chin Kyle not not Ching Kalog, but I think another Galog, but I think you intentionally shouldn't find out because, you know, yeah. they, they keep him on screen for very little time. I, I, and, you know, and, why didn't they go with the guy from, um, what's his name, from Shaolin Soccer? I think he was hurt or something. I, you never know. I think yeah. maybe it was too, they don't want him to look, uh, looking too alike. I yeah. guess. But anyway, the, it's really, um, I thought we were going to get more uh, backstory on them and they don't go into any of that, unfortunately. Well, they can't. They can't because um, that fear of his life is owned by someone. That yeah. even not just his name, but that entire story is yeah. owned by his family. Apparently, it's just it's just a shame that they won't, you know, release that for, for use. Because uh, I think that Herman Yao would have done a good job telling I, that story. There might probably not be a, the fact that it's rare release or not. I think it's the fact that they didn't want to buy it because mm. it probably cost too much money. Um, and that's well, actually, at this at this stage, I'd rather they not even mention it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, 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 again, it's a film that doesn't need it, per se. I was yes. very happy with, with, with what they covered for the most part. So, um, you know, overall, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a see it. It's a, you know, borderline see it because I was really attracted by the Hong Kongness of it. So if you're looking for a film that, you know, sort of reeks of Hong Kongness and, and nostalgia, even if it does look a little bit like... Um, you know, uh, more of a TV drama if you compare it with something like uh, the Grandmaster or the Donnie films. Uh, it's still I was still very pleased with the production value and and I really liked the look of you know the, some of the streets and the rooftops um, that they were you know training on and, and having meetings on. Uh, I really enjoyed all of that. The I I do get the sense of what you're talking about with regard to um, you know not wanting to really delve into any negative traits too much but you know they did touch on uh the fact that he was kind of 
having this relationship, although it was kind of an ambiguous one, and with with um, the the um, Jenny Zo 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 Choo Choo is that her name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with her character, this songstress, and they make a clear point that it was after his wife died. Um, that this, this it was such a cop out that they yeah. they told the rest of it from his son's point of view like oh she came around but then she didn't and, yeah. or they moved out it's like it's like okay when it's convenient they just cop out and take another perspective and you know there there's there's some issues with opium uh, that are touched on too um, and, you know it, it's interesting again who knows the the real story it, you know with any film you're not gonna get you know a really real story but. I liked it, and so I would recommend it to people who like Hong Kong films and Hong Kong actors. Uh, I think that this is a very capable film. And if, again, if you're looking for, you know, super over the top action, um, you know, go see Donnie fight Sammo. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for, you know, artistic wizardry and and ethereal overtones, then go watch the Grandmasters first, and and you know, put this down lower on the list. But uh, you know, again, if you if you want a real Hong Kong film, uh, real Hong Kong feeling film, this is the film to go for. I agree. It's a very enjoyable film. I just like like I was saying, you know, like I think we agree that the it's the only reason that I would rank this one lower on the list is because the other three films were done even better. And to for the fact that this is the second worst In Man film actually says very good things about the In Man films we're getting so far. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. I think it's time to move on, so uh, let me play a little bit of this. Okay, so we're gonna spend a little bit of time, I think, to talk about um, to talk about Leslie and his some of his roles and the impact that he had, and uh, just some of our thoughts in general. You know, this is a a pretty bad year. I mean, I I I, I guess you could call it the year of falling stars because we did lose both Leslie and Anita uh, ten years ago this year. Anita's uh, anniversary is coming up in December, and you know, two. Two actors who I really enjoyed in movies. Uh, I enjoyed when they did movies together. I enjoyed when they did movies with other actors as well. Um, I would say that I was a fan of Leslie's early work, um, more so than his later work. His later work tended to get a little bit more 
serious and um you know especially his his uh, last film uh inner senses was um pretty dark and and kind of scared the pants off me when i saw it in the cinema um so you know for me um the stuff that i tend to go back and watch again and again um tends to be some of his more of his uh, teenage films the films when he was sort of a that up, up and coming pop idol i really enjoy those um i'm trying to think the one he did with loletta lee for example for your heart only is, is a favorite of mine um and of course i think one of my you know the, he's got the chinese ghost story films and my uh top favorite is, from him is probably the one he did with a with anidi and um he's a woman she's a man and the subsequent subsequent sequel uh who's the woman who's the man which he also uh starred in with anita um, so Kevin, uh, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on Leslie and, uh, you know, some, you know, when do we, what was the first film you, uh, of his you saw? And, um, you said you recently watched Rouge and what, what were your, some of your thoughts on that? Oh man. Well, it's, as someone grew up in Hong Kong, I mean, you can't, especially in the 80, late eighties and early nineties, you don't really, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, miss Leslie Chun films. I mean, he's always in films, uh. And we asked me what's my first film. I don't remember, but uh, I think his oldest film that I've seen is probably a Better Tomorrow. Hmm. That was kind of his breakout film, right? Um, and of course, I've seen I probably have seen uh, the Oswald Enswell films. Um, I might have seen Chinese Ghost Story when I was younger, but uh, I think the one that resonates with me is, of course, uh, Better Tomorrow or. Uh, um, the last couple, it, it, we talk about his his final roles. Then Double Tap, I think, was one of his strongest. Even though, again, it was a very very dark role uh, that fans might not have liked to see him in. Um, also, actually, I think people kind of don't well because Leslie's a very serious actor. He doesn't do comedy as well as the others. Uh, not like Tony Lun, but I really it kind of under underrated role. I think it's uh, Okinawa Rendezvous, mm. uh, where he plays this. Uh, thief that's too cool for school but it's totally it's, it's fighting for Fei Wong with uh, Tony Leung it's like these two middle-aged men fighting for a girl mm. um and 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 unless he's trying to play cool but then in the end no he's not you know that, that guy I actually thought it was quite a good comedic uh role I think for him in, in terms of Leslie's uh uh that plays to Leslie's uh, uh, uh persona I guess very well but of course you know we talk about favorite roles then of course it's like uh uh, Days of Being Wild, right? That's like his iconic role. Um, that's probably my favorite role of uh, Leslie. Uh, but yes, like you were saying, I, I just on the on the anniversary, um, there were several uh, film screenings around the city uh, held by different chains. Uh, there was a screening of uh, the second film, uh, "He's the Woman, She's the Man," or "Who's the Woman, Who's the Man?" Uh, who's the woman? Who's the man? Is the second. Who's one. the Who's the woman? Who's the man? Um, there was a screening of that. Oh, who's the man? Who's the woman? I, who's the man? Who's the woman? <laughs> Yeah, I can never remember the order. <laughs> right, uh, the 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 Sunbeam Cinema, uh, which is a uh, actually theater mostly used for uh, 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 Cantonese opera shows, live shows, actually had a screening of uh, Pharaoh My Concubine, um, and I think the day before there might have been another screening of a Leonard Leslie, another Leslie film. But the one I went to catch on the anniversary of his death was uh, the Hong Kong International Film Festival's uh, screening of Rouge. Um, which, uh, as people who've seen it, we remember it's, it's mainly an Anita Mui film, but it stars Anita Mui and, and Leslie as a, a star-crossed lover in the 30s. Um, 
And of course, Anita dies and she becomes a ghost uh, and is in our so-called quote-unquote modern times to try and find um, the spirit of her lost lover, uh, played by Leslie Chun. Um, and this is the first time I've seen the film and I, and, you know, I always choose these um, anniversary showings because you're watching them with fans and, and you kind of have a different perspective or they're more passionate uh, at, at his films, uh, especially last year when I saw He's the Man, He's the Woman or He's the Woman, She's the Man. Um, it was a comedy and it was a packed house, and Peter Chan was in attendance, so people were really into it, and the and the atmosphere was great. Um, of course, this is a much more serious film, and uh, also if we're talking about a uh, Leslie Chun commemorative film, which um, is really more of an Anita Mui film than a Leslie film. Yeah. So so yes, I can see that it's not really quite as appropriate as a as a as a, as a commemorative film, but um, I will give you this: when Leslie first showed up. Of course, there were there were applause. Um, the first shot he is him walking up the stairs of the brothel, and then he passes by two uh, two prostitutes or two uh, well two prostitutes, and then he does a turnaround to the right and has this really suave smile like he just smiles at them, and like it was such a great moment that the audience just went just melted like literally vocally melted and applauded again. You know, you don't have any stars that can cause that kind of reaction. Even I went like, whoa, like, wow. Like when you watch it, no one, no Hong Kong star, not even Andy Lau these days can kind of command that kind of, that kind of, you know, literally like have hundreds of fans melt just from seeing him turn around and, and smile. Uh, and this really great moment. And, um, and actually, Stanley Kwan, he was at a, he did an interview uh, he pre-recorded interview for the film uh, that showed right after the film, and he also did a telephone Q and A. Uh, and in that interview, he recounted the story about that very shot. He said when they filmed it, uh, Stanley Kwan was watching the the playback on video, and then he saw when he saw that moment, Leslie was standing right behind him, saying, "Don't I look beautiful?" Hmm. It's true, and it's true. You look at it; it's like Leslie knows exactly how beautiful he, is. he knows exactly how charming he is, and he yeah. plays to that very well and which made him a perfect choice actually for for that role in rouge i think hmm. um but we talk about the film uh like i was saying it's really more of a need way film i think it's a perfect Anita way film it, it really is a star vehicle for her um uh and uh, you know it, it, it's a very traditional ghost story but i think uh, it also is a very great uh, very good love story uh the star cross uh, lover story um and uh, actually, my girlfriend was sitting next to me, and and she asked, you know, why can't Hong Kong make films like these anymore? And we're not talking about ghost films. I mean, she's just talking about, you know, strong, solid, dramatic narrative films. And I I, I said, think about it. If 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 um, Hong Kong were to make Rouge today, think how much CGI they want to put in. Yeah. Just for the sake of putting CGI. In fact, when Stanley Kwan was talking about. The post-production of the film, he's actually he's actually quite unhappy with this film because it wasn't a film he wanted to do. And also during the post-production process, Golden Harvest wanted to seize the film away from him and reshoot reshoot special effects sequences. So even the '80s, you know, you don't get even the '80s. They didn't want to studios didn't want to make these kind of strong uh, character-based uh, dramas with you know ghost films without special effects already. Uh, and in a way, it, it really is not only about shows us that choose two real superstars that aren't around anymore. It's also uh, a type of film, uh, you know, a back to basics kind of strong dramatic film that we don't see from Hong Kong. Anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, he. I mean, he's definitely had a varied career. You, you can go back to, I think, one of the earliest films of his I have is um, uh, based on the uh, Louis Cha series, uh, Return of the Condor Heroes. Um, it's, the title of the film is Little Dragon Maiden, I think, where he plays uh, the character Yang Guo and um, opposite, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, uh, who plays uh, the Little Dragon Maiden. Um but uh, you know he 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 was in you know in that and then of course later he becomes uh, uh, another iconic character from that series as it's sort of reinterpreted from uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai in Ashes of Time. Um, but again, I'm not being a big Wong Kar Wai fan. I much preferred uh, the turn that he took in um, the Eagle Shooting Heroes, the, the sort of the. The, uh, the the comedy spoof of uh, the, the characters uh, from from that series. Uh, another favorite of mine I would have to point to is of course uh, John Woo's Once a Thief, which he played opposite uh, Cherry Chong and uh, and Chai Yun Fat. I've always really liked that film and and sort of going back to that film and uh, again it's it's much lighter in tone um, than some of his more serious stuff. Um, and I guess uh, you know the, the, some of the, some of the stuff he did later in life. Um, you know, people have said he started to explore you know darker roles um, in, in different places. And I guess you could kind of trace that back to you know some of the stuff in the in the late '90s. Um, you know, looking at um, things like The Phantom Lover and uh, uh, what's what's the um, well, even just yeah. Wong Kar Wai films, yeah, like uh, Happy Together, yeah, Happy uh, Together or, for sure, or even Ashes of Time, uh, actually very dark role. And even though you know Leslie is is kind of an over actor, uh, he's a very expressive actor. I guess we should be be nice. Um, but he 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 has it in him that kind of really strong, dark, brooding roles, and I think he's he's excellent at those yeah. roles. And it's too bad that that it would be those roles that uh, got to him mentally towards that sort of, you know, and I think I saw yeah. an interview or, or I read something once where, um, you know, he was talking about his role in uh, Farewell My Concubine. And um, I think he was a bit unhappy. He was comparing it to um, uh, Bridget Lynn in um, uh, the, the cross-dress role she did for um, Peking Opera Blues, I want to say. She did a few of these yeah. kind of roles. Um, uh, and uh, I don't remember where I read that, so I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go on record as quoting something that I can't uh, can't validate. But I thought I read something to the extent that he was because I, I I think Bridget Lynn won uh, some awards for her performance in that, and mm-hmm. um, or maybe it was the reverse. I don't. I don't know. It's, it was. It was a while ago. No, it's um, regrettable that that he passed away before. It, it, there were two known projects that he was working on before he passed away, and uh, I only knew one of them uh, actually a couple uh, last week when I was listening to the radio. But one of them, of course, is directorial debut. He wanted to be a director for a long time. He he directed a short film, uh, anti-smoking short film, and he was working um, on a on a on a feature film. And actually, an interview that he did, I think a year, several years before he passed away, he was going to do a, a light romantic comedy directed by Fu Chan. Hmm. Um, and it would have been great to see him do his light roles again, uh, as opposed to those, uh, the award. Kind of, I would like to see him do like a Tony Learn kind of, uh, Tony Learn Chu Wai, uh, a career path in the late, late 90s or early 2000s, where he kind of switched between really heavy roles and light roles. 
Well, and he, and he was, I also enjoyed him when he showed up in New Year's comedies. Like, uh, you know, yes. he was one of the founders of the first All's Well, Ends Well. And I think he did another one in uh, 1997. Um, you know, so I, I, perhaps a lot of people would prefer him in his more dramatic and, and more serious roles. I always liked him in the comedies and the romantic comedies that he did. Um, you know, he always, you know, he, he tended to be more of a straight guy, straight person or a straight man. I, that sounds terrible. Um, the, he, the, he tended to be the person people would play off of for comedy rather than the comedian himself. Well, it's um, kind of like Louis Koo, right? It's kind of like Louis Koo, yeah. what Louis Koo style comedy is. He's a straight, he, he's funny because he is the straight man. Yes. It, yes. Um, so, yeah. Well, what about his music career? I mean, uh, actually, I, I, of course, uh, you know, as a pop culture, you know, Hong Kongers, I think a lot of them know him better for his music. Than, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, uh, I have a couple of his CDs. And uh, for, for me, his music is iconic particularly um again for his earlier music because a lot of it got play in hong kong movies many of the movies he was in and some that he wasn't in some that just you know borrowed uh, songs for effect and that was kind of how i came to know more about who he was and and appreciate uh, his music uh, um uh, sort of as i as i went through and learned more about hong kong cinema and the idea that uh which was fairly new to me when I first started getting into Hong Kong cinema in the 80s was that the fact that you had these people who were actors, but they were also singers, and they were really good at both, um, which is, you know, was kind of, it's not, not something you find all the time over here in, in, or over in the States, at least when I was over in the States at the time. Um, you know, you, you had people like um, Rick Springfield, <laughs> you know, or you know, you've got people like, uh, I guess, some people like uh, Justin Timberlake, who can handle himself um, pretty well on well, both yeah. sides? You know, we, we talk about the you know people talk about the four heavenly kings as the representative yeah. of a uh, Hong Kong industry, but I think Leslie and Andy Lau are the two quintessential male Hong Kong stars. You have two people who can sing, who are better known for a sing skill, but also as well for the acting. Well, I'd throw Jackie yeah. Chung in there because I think Jackie Chung is an underappreciated actor, and I love when oh, yes. Jackie Jackie Chung. I wish Jackie Chung, and I've said this before, would do more movies. Yes, and actually, that's the thing that Jackie Chan is—he—he's kind of uh, more concentrated on saying it. He's a great, great actor. I'm not going to deny that. But as as tough uh, as far as being prolific in both films and and music and being you know excelling at both, I think Leslie Chun and Andy Lau pretty much own that. Well, I guess earlier you have Sam Wei, but you know the quintessential Hong Kong superstars. You have yeah, those two. Yeah, and in the way, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um... A little bit of side news with regard to this. Now, there's a lot of news going on, and I, I don't think we're going to spend much time on it. There was some controversial news out of the mainland, uh, very critical of some of the love for, for Leslie. And, of course, you know he's a controversial figure because of his, you know, um, his sexuality and his sexual preference. And, you know, it, it is what it is. If, you're, if, you're, if you don't like somebody based on that, then you're probably not going to be somebody's listening to this, uh, this program anyway. Um, but, uh, over at, uh, the Jane stars website, uh, they have an article from, uh, the, the anniversary on April 1st from an author named Katrine, I guess, uh, it says, what if Leslie Chung had married Teresa Mo? Uh, the article goes on to say it's well known that Leslie briefly dated Teresa, um, after they met in the seventies and, uh, based on some, some interviews and, um, from different places, including time, 
Um, Leslie revealed that he had proposed once to her, um, and uh, he says it's more fitting if you define me as bisexual, as I've had many girlfriends in the past. I proposed to Teresa Mo when I was 22 years old. Um, Teresa comments that um, she never really saw their relationship as being that deep, um, and um, you know they they ultimately did not get married, but became very good friends um, over the years. Uh, unfortunately, this article never really answers the question, what if? <laughs> so it just kind of throws it out there and, and doesn't really uh, speculate much beyond it. Um, but, uh, I, you know, she, uh, Teresa Moe married, I think she married a director. And, uh, Tony Yao. Uh, yeah, went to, um, Canada. But she's back. She does, like, TV stuff all the time now. And she's doing, doing movies and stuff here. And I'm glad she's back. I've always liked, uh, the work that she does. Um, did uh, one of the things that I guess people would come in people's mind, you know, again talking to you about sort of the 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 beauteous nature of Leslie himself. He's a very very attractive man, and uh, I say that with my sexuality firmly in place. But <laughs> he is. I mean, I he he's just attractive and charming, and and you know he's he's got the whole kit and caboodle. Never really saw him as a match with Teresa. That always seemed like just a weird, a weird pairing. What that attraction was. Um, don't get me wrong. I think Teresa is a very attractive woman, and and she can be funny and and sexy and and and, um, and all of that. It's just that you know Leslie just seemed like this heartthrob teen idol, and even even in her younger years, Teresa didn't seem like you know an equivalent pairing for him. Well, remember that that uh, well, I'm not sure what 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 Teresa actually was a uh, leading role. I mean, leading actress back in the late uh, 80s, right, 70s. Yeah. Um, even in uh, Hardboiled, she was the romantic lead. Yeah. Um, so she wasn't always that kind of you know that kind of what we know her as now, right? Um, and also, so you think about it, even isn't Alex Toe, the the singer? Uh, even he he dated Sandra Ng. Yeah. That's so true. you know, you really have you really have all <laughs> kinds of weird pairings in the Hong Kong entertainment industry that you can't really understand. And you know, and uh, Leslie is is a great he's he's a great friend to many people. Yeah. And he's a great he's known as a very uh, friendly person and uh, having a lot of friends and very nice to people. And and uh, you know, his friendship with um, Anita Mui is almost like stuff of legends. Uh, so you know, who knows, right? I mean. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in terms of that question, what if Leslie Chen married Teresa Mo? I mean, who cares? Yeah. Um, well, it, it, the article does go on to say that um, uh, during an iCable TV program hosted by Teresa, ter uh, Leslie confirmed the influence of Teresa had over his life. He says, "If you had agreed to marry me back then, my life could have changed completely." But um, I think it almost sounds like a joke, right? I mean, if someone's telling talking to, to you, I, I'm not sure how it's, it's written down in text, but yeah. you don't know if it was a joke or whatnot. But if what if what if uh, Leslie Chen had, had married Teresa Mo and we wouldn't have the star that yeah. that you see? You know, it's 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 a it's a fallacious kind of a question. You you, you can't really pose it. I mean, it, it's almost as if they're saying, "Oh, if you would have said yes." He's still alive, so we blame you, Teresa, um, which is completely unfair. It would be ridiculous to say that, yes. Yeah. I, I think so. Uh, but nonetheless, if you are um, 
if you are not familiar with Leslie um, or his work, I would say, you know, definitely get out and, and check out some of his, uh, at least some of his better known titles. If you were going to direct people to one film to start them off on a, on a path of, uh, of Leslie watching, what would that film be? Oh, man. Wow. Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think Days of Being Wild. Mm. I think that's like the Leslie, the wild Leslie Churn, right? Like, uh, I think that's like the number one role. But I think Churn film, then I think he's a woman, she's a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's great. It's very commercial, very easy watch. Um, and also a great, you have an intense Leslie Churn, a comedic Leslie Churn. So it's, it's a very good mix of that. As well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd, uh, if I'd go back a little bit earlier and maybe go with Once a Thief or Chinese Ghost Story. Mm. Um, or maybe He's a Woman, She's a Man. Maybe Bride sure, with White Hair. I don't know. I do have a less <laughs> appreciation for Chinese Ghost Story than your typical uh, Leslie Churn uh, fan or less, uh, your typical Hong Kong film fan. So, yes, yeah. uh, I guess many people would choose a, a Chinese Ghost Story. Well, I think some people might go with um, maybe even uh, like A Better Tomorrow because that's you know, uh, probably a much well, more well-regarded film internationally. But I think in terms of his role, he's got a much smaller role in yeah. that. Um, so I'd, I, you know, and, and I guess you could kind of say the same of Once a Thief, you know, because he is, you know, he is kind of there sharing the lead a, a little bit with Chow Yun-Fat. Um, so if we wanted to go with a a more solid Leslie-only role, um, I would probably say Chinese Ghost Story. Um, well, another one. I, I was watching a TV the night, actually on April first, and and the uh, Hong Kong, you know, the film channels were all showing uh, old Leslie Chun films, and I came across this 1998 film called A Time to Remember, um, where essentially Leslie speaks almost completely in English. And or in Mandarin, because uh, he's like this this uh, communist soldier in, in China, and he's talking to this American guy, and it's, the the film is practically half in English. Hmm. Uh, so he's like, so Leslie's speaking in like almost fluent English, and so I guess um, it, it's one of the more interesting roles, I guess, uh, that uh, foreign fans can can look up to hear Leslie speak uh, uh, their language. You say it's 1988. 1998. 1998. Okay. A time to remember. Hmm. I don't, know. I, I, don't I don't think it'll be uh, I don't think it'll be easy to find because even I've never heard of the film. It was just on TV and it's like, hey, there's he's speaking English and I watched it for another 15, 20 minutes. But uh it's a mainland Chinese production and I think uh uh Leslie was speaking in in sync sounds. It was really his voice. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it was certainly uh, a loss for Hong Kong and uh, you know, a sad day when it happened and fortunately we do have a, a legacy of work that we can go back and, and draw upon and, and revisit. Uh, from time to time. So if you are not familiar with Leslie's work, I'd urge you to go look up uh, some of his bigger titles. I guess a bit later in the year, we will probably also um, do a little bit of coverage of uh, Anita Moy, and uh, I'll probably have a a lot more to say uh, at that time. All right. I think it's time to play this. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. 
All right, so we've got no West Green film. I know we haven't had a West Green film for a while now, but uh, there's a lot out there. Just haven't had time to get out and uh, partake of anything. I know that we've got, uh, well, we've had uh, Oz the Great and Powerful and uh, Jack the Giant Slayer. Uh, I did want to get out and see those, I think, out in cinemas right now. We've got The Crudes, which I really want to see. And um, is the Joe movie out now? Yeah, I'm watching it tomorrow morning. Yeah, I think I'm going to give that one a pass. Um, but maybe we can talk, you can talk about that next week. Um, and I'll, I'll try and get out and see the crudes if I can. And so we'll have a little bit of West screen to talk about in terms of a East screen. Uh, we've got a couple films coming out here and there, uh, throughout April. And I think, uh, next time is uh, saving general Yang. Is that right? Yep. 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 Yeah. And what's up with the poster for that? Why do, uh, this is a period piece, right? Yeah. Why do all the guys look like they're in a modern Hong Kong Coliseum concert? Oh, because they're trying to get in the uh, the, the modern uh, the modern audience. Uh, so, are the guys really going to look like that in the movie? I haven't seen it, but I don't think they go topless today. I don't know because they're, they're all just like wearing these ripped T-shirts, and they've all got like short hair, and they just don't look like they fit the period. And I'm thinking, is this a time travel movie? What's going on? <laughs> um. <laughs> So yeah, you go. We'll, we'll we'll throw the poster up on the website when we talk about. It, but you go do a search for the Saving General Yang, and it really it looks like a a concert DVD cover or something more so than a yeah. It's a very strange. It's a very strange. Um. So I think we'll be talking about that uh, next time for East Screen, and um, we'll see if anything else comes up between now and then. Uh, comments. If you would like to leave us some comments, you're welcome to do so. We would love to hear from you. You can. Uh, hit us up over at our website. That is uh, kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. And uh, you can also drop us some feedback over on iTunes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a five-star review, and that would really help us out somehow on iTunes, although I've got a beef with iTunes because they changed their their um, their image requirements, and now our I, went, I had to go and create our logo again and upscale it to meet the new requirements. And now I think our logo is kind of all messed up over on iTunes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Technical problems all abound. Thank you, iTunes. <laughs> and uh, Twitter, you can find us on Twitter. The show is uh, twitter.com slash concast for show updates. And uh, hopefully we will get back on to the streaming side of things if I can get those other technical issues worked out. Uh, if you'd like to drop us an email... And let us know how much we suck because we haven't been streaming. You can do so at uh, gmail at eastscreen.com. And uh, did I lose you, Kevin? What's that? Uh, I thought I lost you. No, no, I'm here. I thought I heard Skype take a dump. Um, so, yeah, drop us, a, drop us an email. Ask us a question. Send us a short audio file, and we'll even play it here on the show. You can also find out about us over on Facebook, facebook.com slash eastswests. And uh, Google Plus, if you're going to come through Hong Kong or be in Hong Kong at any point in the near future and you'd like to come out to one of the uh, Love HK Film movie nights that we have uh, when we go out and watch films together, uh, you can just drop me a line over there and I can get you included in that group. Uh, you can catch us on Stitcher, listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it is the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. 
Additional thanks go out to Rob Gubbers of Schnauzer Studios for our theme, Rosh Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for keeping us out and arranged for movie nights. Um, and also, you'll want to pay attention. I think we're going to be having um, the Love HK Film Awards uh, in the next month or so Woo-hoo. coming up. Uh, big thanks to the K-Man for sticking with me for 143, soon to be 144 episodes. And, of course, all of you, the listeners, for being here in whatever form you choose. Each and every week we like doing the show because we know you like listening to it, or at least we hope you do. Next show, episode 144, as we said, we'll look at saving General Yang and maybe saving G.I. Joe or saving something. <laughs> saving uh, the Rock. Yeah, yeah, saving the Rock, saving Bruce Willis. Um, yeah, some, something. We'll, we'll come up with something to talk about next week. Um, so all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we will see you next week. See you all next week. That's a good thing we're not live. <laughs> Come on, I already connected you. Are you serious? Oh no. So lame. Stupid Bluetooth devices. This is why I don't trust anything that's not on the wire. You're a smart man. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right, and uh, yours was fine. I'll edit that in, and here's the intro. What? Come on. <laughs> uh, tech doesn't you put, like me. All right, you, here we go. You put that in the blooper, right? Yeah, and here's the intro.